Hi, friends. Hello, should I delete that, listeners? We still have some tickets left for our live tour and we would absolutely love to see you there. On Thursday, the 23rd of May, we will be performing in the London Islington Assembly Hall. On Monday, the 27th of May, we will be in Salford. On Tuesday, the 28th of May, we'll be in Glasgow. Sunday, the 2nd of June, Birmingham. Monday, the 3rd of June, Bristol. And Tuesday, the 4th of June in Southampton. You can get your tickets at aegpresents.co.uk or via the link in the show notes or our Instagram bios. Really hope we see you there. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. The average human experiences between six to eight traumatic incidents in their lifetime, whereas a police officer, ambulance service, something like that, experiences about four to five hundred. Hello and welcome back to Should I Delete That? I'm Em Clarkson. And I'm Georgie Swallow. We've got the the subs bench there. I'm just calling up the subs. I literally, I'm fine with that. As long as whenever you guys make babies, you guarantee that I can get off the sub bench, I'm in. We'll put that on a contract. Love that. (laughs) Um, How are you, George? I am good. I'm swell. It is sunny, finally. It is cold as balls, but I'm good. It is. Cold as balls. I don't know why balls are cold, but they are today. Balls are famously warm. Steamy, sweaty, clammy. God Mm. Um, (laughs) so we've got an amazing interview today one of the ones that Alex and I pre-recorded before Al went on her mat leave but Georgie is here today to do the good, bad and awkward with me so without further ado George, do you have anything good, bad or awkward please? I have all three and my good I feel like you're going to appreciate a lot Uh guess who has got her paws on the Mac Daddy of air fryers I got a ninja. I saw it on Instagram. I was gassed for you. I cannot believe it. And Kyle got it for me. I didn't ask him for it. He just was like, it's time. Your time is now. He just sensed it. Mm -hmm. He felt, it's like, my my girl's become a woman. I have. And so I've I've got the dual action. I've got two drawers. I can air fry twice as much. I want two drawers. Twice the time? Because I love my steamy. No, not steamy. Ooh, she does like I love steamy. my speedy yeah those steamy balls <laughs> um, but to, to, to be able to do two things at once would be fucking stunning well that's it like I use I use my air fryer every day when I cook and I had like a little baby one that I bought about three years ago and I was like oh, I'll give it a go yeah. fallen in love with Off. it and now I'm like oh I can cool I can cook like two sausages and that's about it no no not anymore <laughs> you what name you it I can yeah. cook it sausage veg potatoes <laughs> everything everything what's um, so doing? far I've burnt broccoli but we're not gonna say much more about that no that's, that's human error that's not air fryer error no that's all me fab what's your good <laughs> my good is that tomorrow I'm going to Japan ah! I know. I'm so jealous. That's going to be amazing. It's my good and my bad because I'm so... Actually, it's not my bad, but it's it, it's a good tinted with a, like, a, a dollop of anxiety mm-hmm. because it's going to be so amazing. By the time this comes out, I'll already be there. You'll be there. But I've got a 14-hour flight with a baby who very recently found her voice. <laughs> She's just started yelling. 
And it's like so cute, but I'm like, oh my god, it's so loud. Did you see? I actually saw the other day, I'll say in the news, but let's call it Instagram news. A lady on a flight crocheted this baby that she didn't know on the plane a tiny hat. Just because they're on the plane, so maybe someone will do that for Arlo. Maybe someone will well, knit no, because her you know what's going to happen it. now. I'm going to get on the flight. No one's going to do it. And I'm going to hate all. Of them. Well, that can be your bad then. Yeah, no, it's going to be amazing, and it's such an adventure. Like it's adventure of a lifetime. And Alex and I, it's like full bucket list. We talked about doing this for years. Obviously, never did it before we had a kid, and then it was like, oh my god, if we don't do it now, it's only going to get harder and harder and harder. So it kind of felt like. Last chance to leave. It's like now or never. Let's go. It's not now or never. We literally could have done it, but but it just felt for us like it's going to be epic. Yeah, let's just go. So we've got this incredible adventure planned, oh like traveling, but with a baby. I don't speak any bloody Japanese. <laughs> you're gonna say i don't speak any baby i was like does anyone i just i actually think i'm gonna change my bad to the fact that you're not putting me in the suitcase and taking me with you you've seen how (laughs) full the suitcase is so we do not have the capacity whatever i say ditch your clothes but fine i will be be arrested for nudity at tokyo airport but at least georgie will be there i'll be there Uh, she'll also be naked because we've managed to Hey, You're we good. can make Arlo's clothes work. Yeah. As long as they cover the important bits, we'll be fine. <laughs> the fanny. <laughs> um, Alex will have cold balls if we stick to this. I told you, someone will have cold balls. <laughs> um, bads. Oh, so my bad this week is my little puglet bean piglet. So she's a little old gal, but over Christmas and New Year, she hasn't been very well. And I feel like I'm a terrible person for also going to laugh at this a little bit, though. But I think you have to find the funny mm-hmm. in shit situations. She's also a dog, so she does not know what you're saying. Exactly. Well, she's had the shits and they've been projectile and many mm-hmm. a rug has been sacrificed to the cause. Along with my mum's nice white dressing gown because she picked her up to take her outside. <laughs> And everything came out of Piglet's back end. Covered mum's dressing gown. So really this sounds like a mum bad, not a yeah. me bad. But it was, it's was it been challenging. But we're hoping she's going to get it a little bit better. We're just playing it by ear a little bit. Mm. Yeah. Little puggles. I know, a little piglet bean. so sad that dogs get old. It's so unfair. It annoys me they don't live as long as us. I know. And they deserve, like, like, they're so much better than humans. Oh, heck yeah. They should be the ones running the world and we should be the pets. But (laughs) (laughs) I would live in that world. Manifesto. Um, What's your bad? My bad is, well, it's the lump on my face. Yes. That I just found last week. And then I went to the surgeon about it. Cause it was a big brave gal. And it was just TMJ, which is fine. But I've had this screw that I found in my face. Like, I found it about Ugh. a year or two ago. How many people can say they found a screw in their face? I'm sorry. I <laughs> said it to the surgeon yesterday. He said, how have you just been generally? Like, because I haven't seen them in two years. I was like, yeah, they're pretty good. I've got a screw just sort of sticking out. And, and that's like, been there for a long time. It's been there for ages. I just found it, like, maybe a year ago, two years ago. I was like, I just don't want to deal with this. So I just kind of showed it off when I got a bit drunk. I was like, ha look. Um, and then when I saw him yesterday about the lump, he was like, do you want me to remove the screw? And oh. I was like, yeah, yeah, it should be fine. And then he was like, okay, I'll just dab it with a bit of anaesthetic. And I was trying to be brave. So he just put a bit of the gel on. He was like, if it hurts, you can just we can just do more. Like we can put the needle in. I was like, okay, cool. I'll be fine. I was trying to be brave. I was trying to be cool. Honestly, Idiot. I don't know. I would be like, no, just inject me with everything. No, I was trying to like, 
be later. You're a mum now. Yeah, You're I tough. Like, yeah, I am. Like, I'm, I'm fine. You just, you just do what you got to do. Don't worry about me. Oh, like I could literally. It was he was unscrewing it from the bone. Like I could feel, and it really bloody hurt. I'm not surprised. To be, and then it was like he's like, "Do you need the local?" And I was like, "Well, no, because I said I didn't." So now I don't like because I can't go back. Yeah, I can't get back. That's embarrassing. Overestimating myself, tragic. Um, so I was like, "All right, I'll stick to it then, idiot." Um, so then I just let, and it was so painful, and I was so sweaty. By the time oh, I finished, I was just sweating. Just clammy. Honestly, that just even the thought of that, I'm like touching my gum, thinking, "What could that even be like?" And that just sounds. I'd be getting to knock me out. It wasn't very Hit nice. Hit me over the head with something. He's used a screwdriver for your face. He must he have a hammer somewhere to like knock you out. I was like, oh, and, and I was trying to read the branding on it. I, was like, I swear that's just like, like a Phillips screwdriver. It's <laughs> like right, so I could have just done this at home. Pop down to B and Q. Yeah, exactly. Alex was one of those. Um, anyway, it's gone. Which I f- then I came home and saw you last night and ate soy sauce and. Um, <sighs> It's done. <laughs> it's done. Anywho, it's gone. It's fine. Do you have um, a hole now? Yeah. You want to see? Oh my god, yeah. Oh, I can see the hole. That's nice. I can oh. see the head. We could definitely put something in there. But why? But what, what have we got? <laughs> like, um, nothing. Okay. Awkward. Before we get on with the interview. I don't want to tell mine. I do. The reason that Georgie's here today was because last night she was telling me a story and I was like, George, what are you doing tomorrow? Please, can you come tell the story on the podcast? So I'm only used for my humiliation. I get it. Yeah. If I see it. Um, so I was having a lovely little day date with Kyle at ZZ's. We're like, oh, we'll go for lunch. We'll get some pizza. And I thought, you know what? I could do like two birds, one stone here and mm-hmm. make some content whilst I eat my food. And so I'm sitting opposite Kyle and I get my phone out and I'm holding it at some pretty weird angles because at this current point, I'm checking the light because, because that, is, professional. that is what my life is at the minute. And I'm holding it out and I'm moving it round and this woman starts making these really funny looks at me and I think, oh, oh, that's interesting. She's an older lady. And I thought I've, I've, I've clearly done something. She's telling a friend, they're both turning round. And so I snap a couple of pics of myself <laughs> whilst I'm on a date with my boyfriend not both of us just me and this woman gets up and comes over and I've gone oh bugger I wonder if she's thought I've taken pictures of her even though I was like moving my hand around quite a lot and why would I take a picture of a stranger why would anyone take a picture of a stranger but that's where my brain went and she came over and she lost her shit she was and this is a full restaurant people this is a full this is and she just lost her shit and she was telling me off, like, how dare I take her pictures? Who do I think I am? I'm obscene. I'm awful. And I don't do well in confrontation. So I panic a little bit. I'm getting my phone out, showing her my camera roll. And I'm going, I swear there's none of you. It's just me. And there's like me and my face eating a load of pizzas that I'm showing her, which was just mortifying enough as it is. Look at all myself. I literally look at my pretty face. That's what I was doing. No, I God, I could have died. Anyway, once I showed her that, I thought she'd go, oh my bad, I'm sorry, and walk away. She didn't. She carried on telling me off and then went back to her table. And I was like, okay, fine, deep breaths, deep breaths. Start tucking into my food again. I got Kyle to take videos of me eating my pizza. <laughs> Honestly, that's the embarrassing no, part. Nothing's going to slow you down. <laughs> and content must be captured at all costs. Honestly, and then this woman gets up again. And I looked at Kyle and I just went, she's coming back over she's coming back over and I start welling up like I panic I don't do well when I like this just makes me uncomfortable I start welling up she comes over starts having another go at me and I lost it I bawled my eyes out in the middle of ZZ's 
just essentially <laughs> because I was taking pictures of myself. <laughs> And this woman wanted everyone to know. And and that was the worst thing is she was, I mean, telling everyone that I was firstly taking pictures of her. But then when I had to loudly correct her and say, no, no, just of myself, whilst my boyfriend's sitting opposite me, it was awful. And now I never want to go to ZZ's ever again. It's really like you never <laughs> want to be busted taking yourself the other It was it's bad enough, you know, like when you walk down the street and like I don't know, you want to do like a little video and you want to talk to your stories. And I see people do that on Instagram. I'm like, wow, like that takes guts. Because if ever I try and do that, I'm like, oh, people are looking, people are looking. I try it sitting in a little restaurant. Nope, rumbled <laughs> like straight away. And I can safely say I never thought I would <laughs> hysterically cry in the middle of a ZZ's. But you did it. It's like there is like I get that people are scared of like random people capturing content and like putting things of them on Instagram, but it's so mean. But I just like and also I I oh gosh I feel like I've got to be so careful to say what I'm about to say. But like she was of an age that I I guess she didn't use Instagram. Yeah, and so she must have been like, well, this woman's taking a picture of me. Like, what? Even if someone. For salacious means. Like, even if someone had their phone up to me for some reason. And bear in mind, she's across the other side of the restaurant. She wasn't on the next table. She doesn't have cold balls. She's, she's got big She's balls. got the biggest cojones You've got to be going. So sure. If somebody came up to me and literally snapped and you it heard in my click, I still wouldn't confront them. <laughs> no, I'd me still neither. be like, okay, we'll enjoy that. Yeah, you have fun with that. And she said, and she, and I don't know, maybe something's happened in her past. I don't know. But she was like, I know your type. You take pictures and you do. And I was sitting there going, it was just a myself I'm so sorry <laughs> it's not what you think I'm what it's, I'm an influencer <laughs> I did I start justifying I start going oh I make I make pictures on in the internet that didn't help my cause because no. I couldn't get my words out right to go oh hi my job's in social media no I take pictures for the internet yeah. no that doesn't help anyone oh, um so yeah I I now can never go to ZZ's in Chiswick ever again because the last time I was there I cried so yeah let's let's hear yours now um <laughs> Small, simple, stunning. Sat on a run this morning. Tripped over a Christmas tree. That's embarrassing. I was looking up. And I thought it was a little branch. Oh my god, you were outside. You were in public. I was in public. Just, I felt a little like I thought it was a branch. So I was like, I can run through a branch. I'm tough. I'm big. And in the branch, it kept coming with me. I was like, what the fuck? And I looked down. And it was a whole Christmas tree. You know those memes that or the videos that get really viral online at the moment, and it's like, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I don't have kids. I can do this all night. Or like, I live in Canada. It snows all the time. You know those. You yeah, those I know what you mean. Yeah. And I felt like that this morning. I was like, I live in London. The Christmas trees are going to be here until fucking March. Oh yeah, they will be. So there's yeah. also something really sad about seeing all the Christmas trees just like cast outside. Have you been and on if- my street right now? Not only is everybody's dead Christmas tree out, but there's a dead bloody rat on the pavement outside. The yeah, I saw him, and I made a quick <laughs> swift exit. I was it's like bleak out there. Christmas is well and truly <laughs> but, over. But that's the worst thing for you, though. Like you see these sad little Christmas trees, like, and they've just been cast out from the nice warm house because they are no longer wanted. And you just kicked one, yeah, no, like no, while no. he was already down. He got I'm just his saying. On me. <laughs> well, today's interview, without further ado, is with the phenomenal Nikki Perfect. When we heard her story, we literally, I was going to say we kidnapped her, but given her line of work. Please don't do that. Incredibly <laughs> inappropriate turn of phrase. Nikki Perfect is a crisis, was a crisis negotiator. She's written a book and we got it and we were like, oh my God, she's amazing. And she worked for years working, negotiating with terrorists, with high 
stress situations. And I just thought to myself, I could never. No. And now I look at you when your confrontation is easy. I could never. (laughs) Georgie also could never. And we all know Al equally could could never. never. Which is why we were so excited to talk to her. And she blew our minds. She was the coolest woman in the whole wide world. So I hope you guys love this interview as much as we did. Okay, so without further ado, here is the interview. And just because I know she'll have listened to this and she'll kill us if we don't acknowledge it. Alex, we love you. You're not being replaced. We miss you loads. You are. <laughs> You're never coming back. Yes. <laughs> I, I hate being in the... I need Nikki. I don't want, I don't want this conversation. Yeah, what are you going to do? I don't huh? What are you going to do? I don't know. <laughs> Guys, I hope you enjoy the interview. Love you loads. Hi, Nikki. Hi. Oh, God, we are so excited to have you here. <laughs> We've been absolutely buzzing for this episode, haven't we? For so long. Honestly, I've been like, I've been checking the calendar. I'm like, when's the Nikki day? When's the Nikki day? Oh, thank you. Yeah, we have a lot of questions. Excellent. I feel like I'm going to be tripping over myself here <laughs> right to like, where, where do we actually want to begin? Well, let's begin with what you did. What you did. Oh, I did You're yeah. retired now. Yeah. But you were a crisis and hostage negotiator. Yeah. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. And you have written a book called Crisis, which is one of the most gripping books (laughs) I've ever read. And I'm not good at writing, I'm not good at reading nonfiction. I find that I I can't really stay switched on, but I am utterly gripped by this book. It is so fantastic job. Thank you. Thank you very much. And it's your experiences of being a crisis and hostage negotiator and your time before that when you were in the... Yeah, Yeah, so in the the Met Police. So yeah, that's my background. Okay. Could we hear about your background? Yeah. How sure, you got yeah. into doing what you did? Yeah, definitely. So um, when I was at school, I was kind of at school for a social event, really. So I had friends and I liked to do music and play sport. Mm. So I was doing my first year of my A-levels and my dad was like, mm, I'm not sure you're going to be great at university. It didn't say that out loud, but that was obviously what was going through his head. And he saw an advert in a newspaper that just said about these police cadets where you can go and rock climb and abseil on canoe and have a really good time and get paid for it and he showed me the ad and I was like wow that looks amazing I I can do that for a living and he was like yeah I was like well I'll definitely do that and so I applied and I got in so I was only I was just 18 at the time you had to either be 18 you had to be between the ages of 17 and three quarters and 18 and a quarter believe it or not so I went just spot on the age of 18 and two months Mm -hmm. and um, once I'd done a year there I then went to training school and sort of to the big school, the other side of the estate it was then in Hendon and joined the regular officers at the age of 19. So very young, got posted yeah. out to South East London or South East London. <laughs> um, and yeah, just did a variety of things for about 20 years and then uh, all in uniform, did a uh, uh, territorial support group, uh, became a sergeant, then became an inspector, worked all of South and South East London, ended up becoming a one of the only females, well, out of, there was 650 men and there was seven women at the time wow. on the armed response wow. unit. Yeah, so that was interesting. I got no experience of firearms. It was a challenge. I wanted another challenge. Didn't know what I was going to do. So it felt like the right thing to do at the time. And whilst I was there, and I have to be honest, it was the toughest thing I've ever done. 43 men I was in charge of. And yeah. <laughs> yeah. And um, I a lady, so I was an inspector and a, a lady came and she was two ranks above me. So she was a superintendent and she became my mentor. And she said to me this one sentence, which I will never forget, which is, have you ever thought about becoming a negotiator? And at the time I hadn't because to be a negotiator in the Met, you had to be a chief inspector. Mm. So I was in the Metropolitan Police in London for 31 years. So 
I had 20 years service and, and um, I was like, I don't think you can. I can't. I'm an inspector. She said, no, no, it's changed. It's, you can now become an inspector. As an inspector, you can become a negotiator. I was like, really? She said, yeah. And I'd worked with negotiators before, especially in armed response because they're part of a different, different tactic. Um, I'd worked in a busy Suffolk borough and so we'd used negotiators on quite a lot of occasions. So I knew what they did and I knew that they were part of a tactic, but I didn't know exactly what they mm. did so I found out a bit more and I was like oh gosh the more I'm finding out about this the more I'm really looking forward to it and and I think this might be the right thing for me to do so you have to so in policing negotiation is done on top of your day job for the majority of people so throughout the UK any police negotiators they do it on top of their day job Whoa. I know it's amazing isn't it yeah. to think that they go they go and do they might be on I don't know on the child protection unit or they might be on uh, frontline 24-hour policing I was in the director of professional standards at the time which is investigating internal corruption and any complaints oh that's like line of duty it, it's not quite as exciting oh, as yeah. line of duty to be yeah. fair you don't need to tell us but that. yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's just as exciting as line of duty <laughs> <That's what> I <laughs> thought <laughs> it's go 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 um and yeah <laughs> and so i was doing that and i applied to become a negotiator and i went on a two week mo really intensive course so like i was an advanced driver i'd done firearms training i'd done public order training all of those courses so i thought well this will be all right you know, nice, easy communication course. That, that'll be all right. I can talk to people. And I and it was um, changed my life, turned my world upside down, if I'm honest. I always say it was more of a personal development course than a negotiation course because it, it held you under the spotlight for 24-7 for the two weeks that you were there. And everything you said and did, they were like, well, what's making you say that? What, what's your thought process before that? What did your tone sound like there? And then we do role play based on real life scenarios. So really long days, full days in the classroom, then nighttime role play. And then at the end of that, you came out and that was the beginning. And I sat on that course and I had one of those epiphany moments where I was like, this is amazing. I just want to yeah. do this now for the rest of my life, definitely for the rest of my career. And, um, and I don't think many people get that. You know, when people are looking for their purpose, I don't think many people get that. So to have that epiphany moment was incredible. Mm. And yeah, and then at the time there was a full-time unit at New Scotland Yard and just six people on it. And so I kind of made it my goal to get onto that unit, um, which I did five years later. And then I became the director of UK training. So I was sort of in charge of all the training for all new negotiators and got to travel the world. Yeah, it was just an amazing job. While also being an active negotiator. Yeah. Right. So yeah, so so doing the training on top of being right. a, a, a negotiator, yeah. So but but it was my full time role. My mum loved it because now she could tell everybody that I worked. I was Nick from New Scotland Yard, you know, like this <laughs> amazing fictional character that she could tell all her friends about. Yeah. So it was great. It was just an amazing job. The training it really fascinates me. It sounds exhausting. Mm -hmm. Absolutely exhausting. Yep. Like the way you described it, it sounds but also so fascinating so based in psychology yeah really based in psychology yeah yeah and what I really li liked as well is when you said how we're always we're always praised for talking yeah and for being the ones that have something to say but we're never praised actually for just listening and that's yeah. something that you learned yeah I learned the power of listening I yeah. didn't realize listening was such an important skill yeah because we all have an opinion right Mm. And we all want everyone to know our opinion most of the time. But sometimes there's, uh, the power of listening is that you find out so much more about somebody else. What was your experience as a woman in in a male-dominated environment? Did you feel like you had to 
behave in a different way, I guess, modify your behaviour to fit in, fit in where you were. So that's an interesting question because I joined policing in the 80s. Yeah. So in 1988, I was was like a fully fledged police officer and you weren't allowed to wear trousers for starters as a what yeah i know yeah i, uh, I tell my 16 i know i tell my 16 yeah. year old that and she just like looks at me and goes what do you mean you weren't allowed to wear trousers how did you run and we had these tiny little handbags and a truncheon about that big that fitted in the handbag you didn't. <laughs> yeah, really i should have put i should have put like the handbag a Halloween costume. i know that's it's in the museum now which is slightly worrying and makes me feel really old but yeah so um I did I modify my behaviour probably probably without even realising it because it's a survival instinct isn't it yeah to modify your behaviour to fit in because we all like to fit in mm. um, so yeah so probably did I did I have any huge problems working in a male inv- dominated environment certainly not on team not on response team mm. in firearms probably but that was more down to I was like a round peg in a square hole in firearms because I'm just not aggressive. Mm. Yeah, my partner just like laughs at me all the time and says, I can't imagine you in firearms. You're so not that aggressive, that assertive. Yeah. So, so yeah, then, but the great thing about policing is so many different roles mm. that you can choose to do. It's like a job, jobs within a job. So I, I would change role every three to five years. So it was brilliant mm. and, until I found negotiation and then mm. that was it really for me. Yeah, and that's what you knew that you were. Yeah, that's where you wanted to be. Yeah, that's a it's such a tough job. I mean, Em and I were talking to you beforehand. <laughs> there is absolutely no way I could do that. We'd be so bad. So bad. I'd be bribing. I'd be like, "Come on, don't don't do it. Don't do it. I'll give you jelly beans. I'll give you whatever." I think. Off. <laughs> I think what struck me is the sheer amount of patience that you need. Mm. I couldn't cope with that. It's just it's so much patience, and you have to. You have to. You must have to put your frustration to one side, along with everything else, like your ego, your yeah. opinions. Yeah. yeah, yeah. How do you not Judgment. judge? Yeah, yeah. judgments. There yeah. must be, there must have been situations, and I always think this for police officers in general, where you, you as a human, you do, or they're breaking the law, so you want you do judge them. How do you not? Ju- how do you put that to one side? Yeah. So there is, I, for that time that you're with that person it has to not be about you it has to be all about them Mm. and what's happening so your job is to save the life of the other person and that kind of really helps because you know you're in sort of a life or death situation Mm. in the majority of these cases so it's not about not judging because we all know that we do judge it's about recognizing that you are judging and when you are judging, to go, hang on a sec, what, what's making me judge that? Okay, that's that's about me. That's about my values and beliefs. Mm. That's not about this incident here, and it's not about the other person. So you park it. Yeah. You're just able to park it for that period of time. Yeah. yeah. You'd need a lot of, I mean, empathy, I imagine. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah lots of empathy, yeah. lots of um, patience, lots of resilience. You know, sometimes a negotiation goes on for hours on end. Sometimes the person that you're talking to doesn't like you particularly not because of who you are because they have no idea who you are but because of what you do and their association with that so you have to overcome quite a lot of barriers you talk about one of your first negotiations Mm. being eight hours yeah and the guy said two things yeah he did yeah how 
Like, how do you do that? What do you What do you do? I'd lose my mind. Yeah, it's, and it's interesting because I bet you wouldn't. I bet if I put if I like create a course and and put you under sort of the same similar circumstances, mm. you wouldn't lose your mind. You might struggle to think yeah. of something to say, but there's a team around you. What were so the circumstances yeah, what, of that? So it was a young lad who had. So it was my first ever negotiation. So it was a young lad who'd been released from prison for grievous bodily harm. And he went round to see his ex-partner. They'd had a child that he'd never seen. He'd never seen the child before. They'd had some sort of emotional, heated conversation. She alleged that he had assaulted her and he'd taken the child without her consent and driven off. And there was a car chase, you know, the old stingers that they throw across the road. Wow. Um, if you've watched any of the police programmes, they'd done that. And he was now surrounded by police. He was, he was holding the child. The child was... I, I really remember, and like I know time distorts your memories, but I remember how massive his hands seemed to be yeah. and how small the child seemed to be. I really remember that. And it was bucketing with rain the whole time. So, and it was um, it was a really interesting negotiation for me because I learned so much from it. Yeah. So when I got that call, this is what went through my head. I was like... Heroin negotiator arrives on scene, <laughs> has a conversation, listens to the young man. He listens to her. He hands her the child. He shakes her by the hand. He's led off. And when you read the book, you know, it was eight hours and he literally said two, two sentences. One was, you don't understand. And the other, I can't repeat. And, um, and I walked away from that thinking, and he was, he, we ended up getting the child back, but he was tasered. And there was a fight and he ended up going back to prison. And I walked away from that thinking, well, that's not, what I was expecting. I didn't want it to end like that. You know, I'd got these skills. I'd been on this amazing course. I'd been taught by these amazing, really knowledgeable people. What on earth happened? And it took me quite some time and I watched other negotiators and I did lots of research around psychology and human behavior. And I suddenly realized that whole conversation was about me. Mm. It was about what I wanted to happen. And I'm guessing, though I've never spoken to him, but I'm guessing if I look at the world from his perspective, he had just been released from prison never seen his child before, had an argument, was now surrounded by police officers. He didn't see some heroin negotiator walking towards him. He saw a white middle-aged, middle-class woman and probably thought, well, how are you going to help me? Or what have we got in common? Yeah. Or you're going to take my child away from me? Or you're going to send me back to a place I don't want to go? So yeah, so it taught me, a, taught me a big lesson, that negotiation. What would you have done differently? Now? Yeah. So I think now I'd have probably opened up the conversation just like that looking at the world from his perspective okay. and, and said something along the lines of, I'm guessing this is not how you planned your day to go. You know, you're probably excited about seeing your daughter. You clearly love your daughter. You've had some sort of argument and now here is a white middle-aged middle-class woman coming to speak to you and you're probably looking at me thinking, well, how are you going to help? Mm. And what on earth have we got in common? And I might be completely wrong, but I'm thinking if I was sat in your chair, that's what I'd be thinking. Mm. So I start to show them that I'm looking at it, the world from their perspective. And is that something that you, that a skill was something that you acquired and you took that into into future negotiations? Yeah. And that would be how you'd kind yeah. of get on somebody's... Yeah. I'd say that must be very useful in your real life as well. Absolutely, I'll do it now. Yeah. So even now in my... So I've got... Um, so apart from... I do consulting and I've written the book, but I've also got a coffee shop, a, a community hub and a, a garage... And when I left policing and I was thinking, well, who am I now and what am I going to do? And I randomly ended up buying my local village garage and converting the car showroom into this community social enterprise coffee shop and a community gym. Whoever hasn't made your life into a film is really <laughs> I know, <stupid>. that's so cool. <laughs> 
And yeah. I was using all the same skills with my customers. Really? You know, and it's like there's three huge lessons I learned about being a negotiator. One is that we all have a story. Mm. So as we sit here now, all of us in this room have a story, stuff that we don't share because we we might not know the person enough. You bump into people in the street, don't you? You have those encounters sometimes that other person seems really angry or cross and you're like, whoa, hang on, what's the matter with you? Mm. But we never know what their story is. The second one is we all have a crisis at some stage in our lives, sadly. We'll, we will all experience loss, which is a very unfortunate and sad thing. And the third one is that loneliness is one of the biggest killers in the UK, if not the world. And you can be lonely without being on your own, if you see what I mean. And um, when I left policing and and I was like, well, what am I going to do? I'm so, I know that my highest value is to be in service. I know that. There's nothing I can change about that. It's, it makes me happy. So selfishly, it makes me happy and I enjoy doing it. And um, I was like, well, what am I going to I've got these skills. How's this all going to work? And then suddenly I was talking to my customers and I was talking to some of the older people in the village who were now coming to use the coffee shop and starting they were having conversations with other people and so they were starting to make friends and I was like, this this power of communication is amazing. You don't have to be in a life or death situation. You can make a difference every single day in somebody's life mm. if you're just if we're just more present in the way, way that we communicate with each other. Touching on the loneliness thing mm. you just talked about there, on balance, and this is probably a really difficult question, but of all the crises that you've attended – and all of the situations that you've negotiated, do you feel like loneliness, do you feel like the, the people that you're negotiating with are, for the most part, sad, desperate people? Mm. Or do you feel like, and this is really hard to like categorise them, but I think when we think of like criminals in this situation, you'd think of them as being angry and bad. Mm. But is your experience actually that a lot of people were more desperate and sad rather than angry and bad? If you had to categorise them. Mm, interesting question. I would say, one of my friends said this to me. Uh, she said, Nick, you're too soft to be a police officer. I would say, because I like to see the best in people. And I like to give lots of, lots of chances to people. Because I think that we all mess up at some stage in our life. And it's good if somebody can help you get through that stage. I think the majority of people that I dealt with. Some were in crisis because they didn't know whether they want to live or die. Some were in crisis because they had done something which they knew would have a consequence and that consequence is going to be life-changing. Uh, and some were families from of, of people that were, had been kidnapped or were caught up in a terrorist instance. So all of them were in crisis in a different way. So there was a lot, yeah, there's a lot of anger. When, when, you're, when you're not in control, if you think of a time when you haven't been in control of a situation, that is horrible and you're reliant on other people. And when we lose control, we don't make really good decisions. We make really emotionally driven decisions. And so we lead with our emotional brain rather than our logical brain. So there are some really bad people in the world, really bad, but there are a lot of people that make a mistake and it affects the rest of their life for a long period of time. I, I'm struck by the the emotion that you have to bring and the empathy that you have to have. I think that's yeah. what we'd probably be bad at, is like having <laughs> people that are bad people. Well, I'm wondering if you had to, if you had to desensitize yourself to feeling sympathy for these people. 
Because I guess you have to feel empathy, but sympathy is quite different. And yeah. a bit more of a selfish emotion, I guess, Yeah, empathy. Did you have to desensitise yourself to that and to the people that you felt sorry for? Because I think that would be really... That would be really hard. Mm. So uh, most people in crisis don't want you to feel sorry for them. They don't. There's, no, it's not. Um, if you if you fit it, so imagine if you're talking to somebody who is in a in a, a discussion in their own mind as am I going to live or die today? So they're quite low and they're depressed. If I come along and and I'm very sympathetic to that, yeah. then I, I I keep them here. I keep them in this low depressed state, and we don't make any progress. One of my mentors, he gave it a great description of it. He said, when you're talking to somebody, put your shoe, in, uh, your foot in one of their shoes and mm. keep the other foot in your shoe and walk alongside them and okay. see what the world looks like. Don't change them because our job is, we, you can't change anybody. Yeah. We've probably all been in relationships where we've gone, I'm going to change you because I don't like this little bit about you, so I'm going to change you. That's not our job. And mm-hmm. we can't, you can't change people. But what you can do is you can influence them. You can influence them and get them to hopefully see a different path mm. on that day so that they can either get the help right. that they need or you can help them get the person that's been kidnapped back. Is that the hardest negotiation? I imagine that that would be the hardest negotiation when you're dealing with somebody who's choosing whether or not they want to live or die. Mm. Is that the hard, was, was that, would they be the, t- the, hard, the toughest jobs you had to do? So uh, that's an interesting, I'll give you two answers to that. Mm. Yes and no. <laughs> hardest negotiation I've ever had yeah my 16 year old daughter and my partner <laughs> because I'm emotionally involved yeah right. so when I'm not emotionally involved it's right. much easier to see the world from a logical perspective yeah but yes when somebody is literally standing on the edge of a building making that decision it is hard and how do you not get emotional you can't you c- you can't really get emotional in front of- no that's a lie actually you can cry you see I have cried I've had cried with other people you have yeah I've hugged other people I've shared that moment in time and it's a really difficult description to give because it's like nothing else in the world you're in a moment with somebody and that moment is whether they've got a loved one that's kidnapped or you're talking to them on the edge of the building or they're caught up in something that moment of time for that other person is going to be the biggest moment in that person's life and Mm. you have the privilege I honestly felt it was a privilege to be able to share that moment with somebody. And, um, yeah, I've cried with other people. I remember going to give a death message to somebody, not even as a negotiator, just as a police officer, that his son had been killed in a motorbike accident. You know, it's it's difficult, but it's not about you. It has to be about them. So you have to be strong for the other person. So there has to be an appropriate place to do it. But, I, you know, I've hugged people and held people's hands and, you know, all those hu- human connection things, those important things. That's really take its toll on you, though. Mm. Yeah, mm. you know, if you can't let it out there, where do you let? Where did you let it out? Yeah, you somehow learn, and I think this is probably true of everybody in emergency, any emergency service, and perhaps even the armed services, is you can, you you put it away somewhere, mm. and you hope it doesn't come back. I'm not saying that's the right thing to do, because it does come back. It comes back in a different way, shape, or form, like. I know that we're much stricter in some ways with our 16-year-old because of the things that we've seen. Your um, partner's in the was in the police. Yeah, yeah, and still is. Okay, yeah. Yeah, so we're much, you know, you have that, 
When I first left policing, I was telling this to somebody the other day, I didn't trust anybody. I wouldn't even like talk to anybody. Yeah. And then I suddenly thought, oh, actually, everybody here is fine because you get to see the darker side of the world, don't you? Mm. So you're always, you're always looking for that darker side. They, this, it's something like the average human experiences between six to eight traumatic incidents in their lifetime, whereas a police officer, ambulance service, something like that, experiences about four to 500. Oh, wow. So it's completely different. You know, it's crisis after crisis, trauma yeah. after trauma. But you, do, you, learn to, you learn to manage it. Um, you definitely become hardened to it, definitely. Yeah. yeah. You have to, yeah, self-protection, yeah. preservation. Yeah. yeah. I was struck when you, and I can't remember which negotiation this was, or if even if it was a negotiation, but you had to tell um, a mum that her boy had died. I think he'd been shot. Yeah, so that was in the hospital. So, in the hospital. So, yeah, I didn't have to tell him, uh, tell her. So what happened was, um, this was when I was on the armed response unit, and uh, this young teenager had been very sadly shot um and so we were providing an armed guard in case there was any further trouble at the hospital and I remember being at the hospital and he's like whisked straight in and and off he goes and I remember I remember the mum coming in with a family member and um some local police officers and she she was sat I mean it was a quiet area and the surgeon the surgeon came out the doors and he could tell you know yeah. It was written on his face mm. what he was going to say, and he went over and to told her, and it was just that human cry. Yeah, it's so it's so primal. Uh, it's something I will never forget. Yeah. yeah, and you said as a human being, I wanted to comfort yeah. her, but you knew that as someone in uniform with um, a gun, with a gun, you know, that wasn't your place. Just and, not the right thing. And you said like my team and I just had to fade away. Yeah, that really yeah it, it struck me because that must have been. So hard to yeah. walk away and yeah. Yeah, really hard to walk away from from that. Yeah. But knowing that there would be somebody else that would be there. Yeah. To take yeah. on that role. Yeah. Yeah, it's incredibly you know, human pain is incredible. You have to be so selfless. And I and I feel like it's quite thankless actually, because I would never have considered that perspective. Mm. How hard that must be. Not just to witness the crime, but the the human like domino that every every situation brings with it mm. and there must be so much you know you go into policing because well because you could climb walls and do yeah. all the fun stuff yeah, obviously yeah, yeah, yeah. but also like you know you're you're led with empathy and you're doing it for the right reasons and you want to do best by people so yeah. to have situations where you know on balance you're doing the right thing but where in the moment it doesn't necessarily feel like the right thing that must be really difficult to contend with yeah yeah, definitely. And yeah. and especially in the role of a negotiator. And like, you know, policing at the moment gets a bad time. Mm. And and some of it is, is quite rightly deserved. But what it takes away from is the hundreds of thousands of good people out there yeah. that are doing amazing things. Like as we sit here talking, there will be somebody now talking somebody out of taking their own life or yeah. there'll be somebody now um helping a family get through a crisis yeah. in some way, shape or form, whether that's because they're a victim of crime or whatever it might be. And, uh, yeah, you, uh, you, you join because you want to – the majority of people join because they want to make a difference. Yeah. Of course they do. Yeah. You know, and then it's – and it's, it, it is about human – it's about human connection and people. Mm. And that's what I loved about being a negotiator is people's stories and being able to share in those stories.
Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. training were you taught also to have an an acceptance of situations that you're not actually going to be able to change like when someone is deciding whether they're going to live or die mm. and ultimately their mind is made up and there's nothing you can do were you taught to have an acceptance of that yeah 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 very much so and then when I became the director of training I would teach the same thing okay. is you yeah. know people have we all have choice and it's not anybody's it's not your fault if somebody uh, does jump or take their own life whilst you're having a conversation with them. How yeah. do you how do you feel? How yeah. do you do that though? How do you not feel that it's your fault? Because of course it isn't. Rationally, yeah. logically, yeah. it isn't. That, that person's made mm. their decision. But how in that moment do you feel like it's not your fault? Do you tell yourself? So you don't. You can't. Yeah. You have you you replay everything. You replay oh. every sentence. You replay every word. This is such a hard job you've done. So makes me want to cry. Oh, don't, it was a great job. Yeah. It was a privilege, honestly. Yeah. It was a privilege. And if you ask any negotiator out there now, they'll say the same thing. Yeah. It's an absolute privilege to be able to serve people yeah. and, and to do what you can for them. It's just the stakes are just so high, yeah. aren't they? And it feels like every split decision you make could have a huge impact either way, mm. which just sounds really scary. Yeah, and it's, it's interesting because you don't think about it when you're doing it. Do you not? No, not at all. No. So, um, because it's your norm. So, like, um, this is your norm. So, for me, this is Much like... Much lower stakes. I, yeah, but, I, <laughs> but I'm coming on the train this morning and I'm excited to be here. I'm like, gosh, this is amazing. It's like amazing to meet you and like to be on the podcast and it's when you do something time and time again and it's your day job, yeah. it becomes the norm. Mm. And it's only when you come out of it and you start to speak to people. So I would talk to people. Like, they'd come in for a cup of coffee and we'd have a conversation about something and they'd like look at me and I'd go, what's up? And they'd go, well, you did that. And I was like, yeah, is that not normal? And they'd like, no. <laughs> I'm like, oh, okay. And especially if you live with another police officer, because it's their normal as well. Yeah. So you don't even really, there's like... You um, switch off at home. Yeah, you, yeah. so you, you walk through the door and you don't really talk about work unless it's you just want an offload. But it's normal. So if you say, so now my partner will go out at two o'clock in the morning. I'll be like, oh, what are you going to? Oh, um, uh, there's some guy, he's, uh, he's, hold, he's barricaded himself into his house and um, he's threatening to shoot everybody. Oh, okay, great, good luck, you know, kind of thing. And so they walk out the door. <laughs> yeah. Funnily Gosh. enough, I actually had this conversation at the weekend with a friend of mine who was in the army, and mm. he said that then not now, but when they when they'd come home from being on tour in Afghanistan, that mm. you'd you have two families, and like you'd have your you'd come home and you'd want to be with your home family when you were away, and then as soon as you were with your your family family, mm. your mind would just be with your work family and be with with everybody else, and. 
that and it, it's just interesting to hear that you know that so many people are living split lives with their work and their home but you didn't even have that distinction really how then do you not when you're negotiating with your partner or your child <laughs> how do you not deploy like full work mode or do you like do you <laughs> negotiate like the laundry the same as like sometimes I do a lot of negotiation yeah yeah um yeah especially at uh, and sometimes I just shout like everybody else and just go, will you please just do this? <laughs> you know, um, That's nice that you can do that somewhere. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, it's, 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 I'm perfectly, like, human and fallible and... Would you, could you never do that at work? Would you please get out of the building? Like, just no. put the stuff down. <laughs> yeah, just, let's just go. No, no. no. And it's, and it's, I fa- found human behaviour is fascinating. You know, I could talk to somebody for eight hours, 13 hours, and go home, be exhausted You'd walk through the door and there's like a sock by the washing machine or a cup on top of the dishwasher and that's and that sends you into apoplexy. Really? But it's not really about that, is it? Yeah. It's just because you're tired and you're emotional and you're like... Yeah. And also I have a theory that when you're at home, it's like why, why do we treat the people that we love and care about the most the worst? Yeah. Because <laughs> we kind of learn how to behave in public and like there's a line yeah. and we pretty much follow that procedure. But when we get home, it's like, Anything goes. Dave and Alex can attest to that. It's just, I think it's about about that trust, isn't it? And that not being judged. And it's a safe environment Mm. that you do that. I'm not saying it's right or wrong, but Mm. I just, it's fascinating that how we do that. Mm. You said that your hardest negotiation is with your daughter. Yeah. (laughs) Because you're emotionally involved. Yeah. But in, in your... In your experience, in your job, what was the most difficult negotiation that you did? I want to say the one that left the biggest mark on you, but I guess that might not be the most difficult one. Yeah. So the the most difficult one will go first. Gosh, I think probably, so all of them are difficult in their own right because people are people and everybody's got a different story. Um, So no negotiation is the same. And all of them I learned something from. Every single one of them. I never left one and went, oh, yeah, that was spectacular. I always leave going, mm, hang on, right, what what happened there and how mm. did that work and what does the world look like from the other person's perspective as they leave here? Probably the ones that um, stick with me the most, and these are definitely not the best ones because they're not – because there wasn't really a massive chance to negotiate. But when I joined the Hostage and Crisis Negotiation Unit, it was – 2012 which was the year of the summer olympics here in Mm. in london but it was also the year that uh, syria were being taken over by isis so a lot of western journalists were being kidnapped and very sadly beheaded and killed so that was really challenging working with families and people that were working with families and supporting them um there was another one which is in the book and it's called 36 hours which was the most intense 36 hours of my life whereby somebody was kidnapped in Nigeria and we were working with the company and um, trying to negotiate with a private security person who was out in country. So that came with a lot of challenging aspects from language to time difference to really intense. Um, But I think it would be difficult to say, honestly, Because all of them were so unique and all of them had such a unique story. Yeah. That's interesting that you say that you learnt something from everyone, even the ones towards the end. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, you've been doing it for, is it 10 years you did it for? Yeah. 
Even those ones that you still learn something from Definitely. it. I'm yeah. still learning. Yeah. Still learning all the time. Wow. You know, sometimes I still have emotional conversations. And, I, and after that emotional brain has settled down, I'm like, hang on a sec. What part have I played in this? Where's yeah. my responsibility? Where's my, what's my belief system? What's their belief system? Why? Yeah. Why do we clash? Mm. Why, why did it become such a, not a heated, but why is it having an impact on me more than a normal conversation would have? Yeah. Sorry, can I ask a can I ask a technical question? Mm. In the book, you, it said that negotiators need to be swapped out after twelve hours. Mm, yeah. What happens if it gets to like eleven hours, forty five minutes, and you're finally making a breakthrough with someone? Yeah. Are you obliged to? Are you legally obliged to have no. to swap out? Okay, so no. you can stay. Yeah. In. Yeah. Okay, that's good. Yeah. If you're starting to build a that relationship with somebody, you wouldn't just walk away and okay, go. Sorry, okay. twelve hours is up. I'm off. Right. Okay. No. Good. Yeah, we've okay. been on much longer negotiations where you, yeah. you're building a relationship with them yeah so okay. yeah you'd never let somebody down like that okay that's good to yeah know. that would be annoying if you yeah it's just finally be, making it's yeah. yeah it's just after 12, 12 hours we find that people are mentally exhausted yeah and so you need to be the best that you can be for yeah. that other person on a practical level yeah you're there for 12 hours yeah you need a week you do yeah. oh yeah and food I didn't think yeah. about that yeah. yeah you'd be absolutely done for oh yeah <laughs> Every, everywhere I go I still do it now I always know where the toilet is okay <laughs> so can you nip out if you're negotiating you could just be like don't do anything stupid I'll be yeah. back in five minutes yeah of course you can because it's a human conversation isn't it right. and you might even say to them look we've been here for 12 hours and I don't know about you but I am desperate for the toilet so if you are too let me know and I'll show yeah. you where it is. Uh, oh but, my god! So you could, and that could often could could that be the break? Could I don't know. The... I don't know. It's never happened for no, me okay. that, that really. Yeah, and and generally, if, especially if a negotiation's gone on for a period of time, there'll be two of you there. Yeah. Okay. So one of okay. you, the other person, will be there. Okay. Yeah. But there's always a lead, right? Yes. Between the two of you, there always is because okay. if I, if if you're in crisis yeah. and you have two people talking to you, yeah, that's just going to do your head in. Yeah. If you're in crisis and hearing a voice inside your head, and now you have yeah. two other people adding to that voice, it's going to be really confusing for you. Yeah. So yeah, we always stick to one person, and it might be that that one person doesn't make headway. Um, like my n negotiation in the book with the 16-year-old girl who was in the tree with a noose around her neck, I made no headway there whatsoever. We had yeah. no relationship. I, I was rubbish. Yeah. And uh, thank you weren't rubbish. I was, honestly. I was so <laughs> paranoid about what I looked like and that whole fear of looking stupid in front of other people. There's lots of people around, all those things yeah. that go with inexperience and worrying too much and getting in your own head rather than talking to somebody else. I worked with this great guy and he just he, we just had a natural conversation. You talked about ego earlier. No place for ego mm. at all in a crisis conversation. And he just said, what do you think? And I said, yeah, please. And he was awesome. I just watched him and he just built this relationship with her really quickly. Yeah. And I learned, again, I, I just feel honoured to have worked with such great people that were able to share their experience, you know. You talk about the fear of looking stupid and mm. I think that's something that stops so many of us and particularly like I'm a Londoner, sounds like you've spent most of your yeah, career here London, as well. Yeah. yeah, So like there's, I don't talk to strangers, like I, I will do a lot to avoid talking mm. to a stranger but often it is strangers that help each other the yeah. most and actually I was, I didn't even speak to him actually but I was groped 
assaulted, I don't know what the word would be, on the tube once, years and years ago. Mm. And this guy I didn't know came over to me and he pretended that he knew me. And all he had to do was just be like, oh my God, hi. And the person who was doing what they were doing walked away and that was that. And it was like, I, it was such an amazingly generous thing that he did and so kind. And he and, and he actually just got off after that and he didn't speak to me again. And he went back to the other side of his carriage and like he was like there in that moment and then he left. Right. That. And it was just so like, wow. Like, and I was only like 18. It was so amazing. And I think about him all the time. But I always think so many of us don't do that mm. because we're so scared of looking stupid or making it worse or I don't know being perceived wrong or whatever mm. and it's really interesting that you feel that in your own even in this in in that high stakes professional job where this is your whole thing you still have that fear of looking stupid mm -hmm. like I, I don't really know what the question is except how can we get rid of that yeah. like how can we to be better people and be better to each other like how do we put that aside yeah so there's actually a word for it it's called social proofing Social proof. Yeah, they've done lots of studies on it around influence and persuasion. And what happens is, so I don't know if you ever heard of the program called Finding Mike. So mm -hmm. it was a, there's a book that's been written by it as well. So there's a, a guy who's having the worst day of his life and he goes on to, I think it was London Bridge, certainly one of the bridges here, and he's standing there and he's looking out. Um, I think he might have even been the wrong side of the railings, if you know what I mean. Mm. And uh, people walk past and walk past and walk past and then somebody stops and says, hey, you okay? Uh, why don't we come for? Why don't you come with me for a coffee? And he ends up going for a coffee with this guy, and he saves his life on that day without even knowing really that he saved his life on that day. And then he, um, the series is called Finding Mike, and it turns out that actually Mike isn't called Mike; he's called something else. But they find him, and they're reunited, and they have a whole conversation about it. Oh wow! And, and then it's, it's wow. a TV program. And uh, yeah, fascinating. But what happens to us is you're so right. And people used to, negotiators, even police officers, when they came on the negotiation course, they would always say like, I don't want to ask them if they're going to um, take their own life or commit suicide because I don't want to put the thought in their head or I don't want to mm. say something wrong that will then... Exacerbate. Yeah. And we know from research that that will never happen. We, we also know that we watch people. So there's been lots of case studies. There was one in America where there was a female that was... Um, brutally assaulted in her house and the neighbours heard screaming but when they looked out they didn't see anybody else and they thought oh well if there was a problem somebody else would phone the police and so you're like oh well yeah. somebody else will do it it's okay yeah. I can't see anything and it's the same as if you walk past somebody on the wrong side of the railings or somebody was watching you yeah um you go well if there was an issue somebody else would deal with it yeah and I don't want to embarrass that other person or embarrass myself. Mm. So what I what I found in life, and it's funny because this happened in the gym the other day. I was in the gym, and there was a guy sat on the bench, and he looked awful. And I could see other people looking at him, but nobody was. And you, you kind of just have to take that big deep breath and go. I just seen that you look quite pale, and you're sweating profusely and trying to catch your breath are you okay? And he said, no, I'm not. And I said, right, okay, great. And we can we can sort something out. Mm, yeah. But if I was wrong, he'd just say, no, I'm fine. It's okay. Thank you. I always look pale and sweaty. Right. <laughs> yeah, we <laughs> yeah, just worked out, you know. Yeah. I'm in a gym, what do you expect? <laughs> but yeah. But, and what's the worst that can happen, and right? What's the, worst That's the worst that can, that can happen. happen. Yeah. You'll just either get told to go away and that yeah. they're all right, or they'll be like, no, actually, 
thank you for stopping yeah. most people will be well thank you for caring yeah 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 it is I mean it is it is that like fear of like offering a, your seat to a pregnant woman for them to be like oh, I'm not pregnant you know it's that like yeah like st- stomach dropping moment of, yeah like, I've miscalculated yeah, yeah. people are so, and Londoners I don't know why we're so so much worse than everybody else but we're just terrible at yeah. being nice to each other. Yeah. Not really, actually, because we do have, I do feel like there is a unity and there is a... Great love, in a crisis, Londoners. Yeah, yeah, I do feel that I love being a Londoner. Yeah. But on the tube, like, yeah, we don't, like, I don't know, there's just something, something comes over us. Yeah. It's a culture, isn't it? We're, yeah. We've been told not to talk to strangers on the tube and, like, keep ourselves, unless you've had t- 10 pints of lager and then you try and get the whole carriage to sing along. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Were there any points of your career as a negotiator that you I mean say after a a bad negotiation bad I don't know how you class Mm. good or bad negotiations but where you thought I'm done I don't want to do this anymore this is too much it's too much to carry to to burden I'm 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 done no never 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 never. no I'd never even thought about that before really yeah there was never a time as a negotiator where I thought no that's enough yeah can I ask as well about, you talked about having to do terrorism like mm. work, negotiation with terrorism in Syria uh, and the situation in Syria and I'm imagining in other places as well and like you say in Nigeria. Like how how did that differ? And I'm sure massively, but how did that differ with like the cases where you've got somebody who's kidnapped their own child or mm. somebody, it, I guess, you know, they're all massive, yeah. they're all massive, but there's something about a situation on the other side of the world with you know, war crimes and what, that must just feel so massive. Like how, how did they differ? Did you, did you ever feel like imposter syndrome or, or out of your depth with that sort of thing? Yeah. And so thankfully, again, I've worked with a brilliant team. Many had experience of working with international roles and we had an international side of our unit and that was their responsibility. So sometimes I would go and help them and sometimes they would help me. So, cause we're just a team of six. So we did a lot. Um, and I learned lots from them, but yeah, imposter syndrome. So I was in Australia sitting on a, you know, the equivalent of, um, a Cobra meeting in Australia dealing with a kidnap. And I sat there looking around the room, just like, Oh my goodness, who am I to be here? <laughs> you know, but you, you play an integral part because you have a team of people behind you helping you and then you can then help the people that are immediately in front of you. So it's all, but yeah, it, and, the, and the difference, the difference is it's very political. Mm. There's lots more that goes on behind the scenes that you don't know about, um, yeah. that I didn't know about at the time. Um, there's a massive time difference. So they're often slower moving than the ones that you get if it's like in the UK, they're a lot faster moving. So, yeah, there's some big differences, but they're all about people. Mm. That is extra frustrating, though. Language yeah. barrier and you have to add technology Time barrier, into technology, that. Yeah. And do you feel like it is about the people? If it's like when you're dealing with somebody with a suicide, for example, mm. you're dealing with their direct humanity. But when you're dealing with, again, terrorism or ISIS, yep. it does feel less human. They're not, it does feel less human because you're not surely trying to get to a terrorist on a human level being like please don't do this no than that like, yeah because they're just acting out an agenda and a and a political whatever it is so you must have to completely adjust how you work mm. from yeah like it must not be that human well it's they still have they're still doing things based on their values and belief system yeah, yeah. 
still they're still a human being yeah unless they're a psychopath and there definitely were some psychopaths you yeah. know you only have to look at the um the four that they named as the Beatles to yeah. look at psychopathic yeah. behavior I mean the actual Beatles there I was like that's a huge allegation yeah no not to the <laughs> Beatles the ones that were, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah. let me just clarify that <laughs> the, the guys that were in Syria doing the beheading yeah um but in all negotiation, no negotiation will work in whatever situation unless you get collaboration. Mm. And that is the only way a negotiation will ever work. So I always imagine that if you're negotiating with terrorists on a situation like that, that you're negotiating, you've got like political exchanges, like you can, you give mm. me him and I'll give you your prison, like mm. chess. Yeah, I, I yeah like chess, and is, yeah. It, is it more like that when in a situation like that? I don't know if you can even say that. So uh, it's more... <laughs> In my personal experience, which isn't huge, thank goodness, but when you're dealing with international kidnaps, it's more whether it's criminal or terrorist related, it's more um, a business transaction. Mm. And even a kidnap in the UK is a business transaction because you're exchanging, generally it's for money or for something or for another, it's an exchange of something. Mm. So it's like it's like a business transaction. Yeah. Sorry, I've got so many questions on this. Okay. What if it's something that you can't do? What if it's yeah. like I want this? I'm gonna and let's say it's in the UK because I yeah. imagine it's quite hard to talk about like terrorism, yeah. you know, whatever. But let's say it's in the UK. Like I've taken my kid or I've taken a kid and I want my friend released from prison or yeah. whatever, and you just can't do it. Mm -hmm. What do you do then? So again, you have to find a way forward and collaboration. And remember that negotiation without giving loads of secrets away negotiation is just a tactic yeah amongst several tactics okay yeah so like you could bring the taser out in theory like so i wouldn't bring the taser no, out would. but somebody if you, somebody yeah, might okay. be yeah if somebody's kidnapped somebody then it, you know there's a massive team that will be behind that yeah and and the thing about being a negotiator is you're not the person overall in charge you're just a tactic yeah okay so it's you're not making those hard decisions yeah like the like the prime minister will have to make if it's an international Kidnap, yeah, make that or, decision. or whether it's the gold commander will have to make that decision. Yeah, and just jumping back with that, yeah. or with any of it, what's it like? What's that feeling like when it does work and you get like a kid kidnappy back again? Yeah, is that like the it's the thing best. It is the coolest thing in the world. Yeah, it's yeah. the best feeling in the world. It's the best feeling in the world. So um, there's a, a, a chapter in the book that talks about. I think his name is Ashley in the book because obviously everybody's name and all the mm -hmm. places are changed um, to protect people. But uh, but the, he was so anti-police when I met him and we went on a roller coaster of a journey like, throughout the night. Um, and thankfully we got his brother back. His brother was injured. But he just hugged me at the end of it. You know, he'd been fighting me the whole way, literally talking about leaving, uh, telling me that we were rubbish, all sorts of language used towards me and about policing because he was worried about his brother so the the way to take it out is to take it out on the people that are trying to help you and frustrated because things take much longer than you know you want them to and his brother was being hurt um but at the end of it he hugged me he hugged me and his brother was back and there is no feeling like it a complete stranger a complete stranger who you spend a window of time with in the most poignant moment of their life you get the privilege of sharing that and then afterwards when it's done and it's just pure relation and just you know the satisfaction is um it's like it's it's like an adrenaline kick mm. you know I, I can't imagine 
anywhere else. Well, actually, no, I say that, but, you know, when I have conversations with people in my coffee shop and they're having a tough day, and if they walk away and say, thank you for listening to me, I'm like, yes. <laughs> you are welcome. Yes, that's an amazing feeling. Yeah. yeah. Did you keep in touch with any of them? No. No. No, very much yeah. separated. God, you must have saved so many lives and and these, those lives have just carried on. You don't know. Yeah. Yeah, oh, that's, amazing. Yeah. yeah. How many negotiations do you think you did? Oh, gosh. Over the 10 years? Oh, I don't Honestly, I, don't, I wouldn't be able to tell you. Quite a few, and quite a few I was a negotiator coordinator for. Right. Um, yeah, so quite, quite a few. A few. Quite a few. Not, <laughs> not as many as some people. Yeah. You know, some people have got like so much experience, but I'm lucky to be able to work with them and then they share with their stories and then you're like, oh, yeah, I get that. I can see that. I can see what happened there. Yeah, and that was a real – another honour really is, is to have been – the director of UK training to then share your experience from your stories with those other people. Um, on a practical level, mm. how do you do this without crying? <laughs> like, how do you argue with people? How do you negotiate with people without getting when you get emotional? Yeah, how do you not? Okay, so uh, let, there is. Imagine your brain is split into two. Yeah, one side is your emotional brain, and one side is your logical brain. There's a great book that describes this called the Chimp Paradox. Mm-hmm. And your emotional brain is five times stronger than your logical brain. So you're already fighting that. Now imagine that um, the tip of the, you, every conversation you have is the tip of an iceberg. And underneath that iceberg, that's full of your experiences, your values and your beliefs and your everything, the, your, your opinions and wanting to be heard and all those things that go with being a human being. So when somebody challenges what you believe to be true, let's call it an opinion, immediately your emotional brain is going, oh, I need to protect you. I need to jump in now and protect you um, because I'm worried something's going to happen. Mm. And and that's what happens. And so your emotional brain kicks in before you even know it's kicked in. And before you know what's happening, you're having that emotional, frustrated, angry conversation. Now, I read, I can't remember which book it was in. I want to say it was The Stroke of Inspiration, which was written by a lady who was a stroke specialist and she had a stroke. So she was able to write about what was happening to her brain. But I think it's 90 seconds. If you can keep quiet for 90 seconds, it will settle your emotional brain down. Yes. And so you won't just go blur and have this big, because most of our conversation yeah. is blur. It's unconscious communication. Mm. And when we learn to be conscious and present and to recognize I always, when people ever come to me for coaching or training, I always say, keep a journal at the end of the day. Just think about the conversations you've had. And if they haven't gone well, think about what was it about you that was triggered? Because you can't change anybody else. I went over to do the FBI course, which was amazing, and met this amazing guy um, who'd done so many. He negotiated with the Boston Bomber. Have you seen the film Captain Phillips? Yeah, no, but it's yeah so he, he was the one that was training the, or talking to the guy from the Navy who was talking to the pirates. So he's got so much experience. And he said this to me. He said, Nick, you cannot control what other people do. The only thing you can ever control is how you respond. Mm. And that's hard because our emotional brain will kick in. Mm. So, and, that is, and that's hard, but it's about reflection. So reflect about it afterwards and, and then think, okay, so what part did I play? 
what were my beliefs, what were my opinions. This is why people say don't talk about religion and politics. Yeah. Because there's such emotional conversations. Yeah. And there's no time, you can't really say, just give me 90 seconds and I'll no, come that's back right. to yeah. you. <laughs> you know, but, every time it's your turn to speak. Yeah, <laughs> but what you, what you can do is you can use reflective language and just listen. Yeah. And that will buy your brain time to settle yeah. down. Mm. So can I have an yeah. example? Because I actually think this is like a really tangible advice, particularly mm. at the moment when everything is so polarised. Yeah. Where, like, yeah, I, I'm, I'm learning. I'm learning to just, like, bite my tongue off yep. all the time. Yeah. Um, can we have an example of reflective language that people can use actually in their real lives when they're having a contentious conversation or whatever? Yeah, so there's, there's two things. You can either label the emotion that they're mm-hmm. showing to you or summarise the conversation at the end. So my biggest challenge to people is listen to people as if you have to summarise at the end. And if you really okay. want to push yourself out of your comfort zone, summarise at the end. Okay. And you can do it in a way that you make it about them. So, okay. so you could do it a little bit like this. So listening, listening, listening. Yeah. And you go, right, I can hear this is really important to you, so I just want to make sure I've got this right. Right. And then you summarise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's so good. Yeah. Um, I'd melt on the spot. I'd die. Yeah. What if someone said that to you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And the and the reason it works is because it helps the other person to feel valued and validated and listened to. Does it not make them feel a bit stupid? Yeah, it made me feel embarrassed. I Do think, you think? But, well, it depends um, what they said. Like, if I was summarising what you just said back to you, actually, I, I guess it would depend what the subject matter was but I think if I had come at you defensive mm. and maybe slightly aggressive because my emotional brain was triggered right, okay. yeah. and then you fed it all back to me I'd probably be a bit, a bit like oh, wish I'd had my 90 seconds <laughs> <laughs> but you can do it in a kind caring way you don't have to do yeah, it in a, yeah, yeah. you don't have to do it in a horrible so way yeah. we just used it's... a conversation that I had over the weekend much to my own um frustration i actually handled it so well by basically saying nothing um but i was sitting next to somebody who was politically very unaligned and unfortunately it was like boomer bingo like we just hit every single <laughs> right one. I was like, oh god why is this happening like every contentious issue of the moment came yeah. up um but one of them being about for example harry and megan right and this person was very angry about harry and megan and i was trying to be very just like okay like we disagree but like okay whatever and all I could think to do was say, why do you care? Like, why do you care? Why do you, why does it matter so much? Because I was just, I don't know, I was just trying to make it go away. And then I was trying to make them realise that this, they were maybe a little bit angry about something that didn't really matter. I don't think it was a great tactic anyway, because then they just thought, because I do. And then it just got even angrier. And I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. What, if I'd have got to the end of that, if they'd have got to the end of their thing, could I just have gone, so I really, I'm hearing that you don't like them. Mm. And this is why you don't like them. Yeah. And then do you just full stop? Or, yeah, or you can say, have I got that right? Yeah. And they'll either go, you've got this bit right, or you've got that bit but not that bit right, and then yeah. they'll tell you. Or they'll go, no, you haven't got any of that right, and they'll tell you again. Okay. Yeah, and that's then generally what happens. In a situation like yeah. that, in your line of work, the point of that would be to end the conversation? No, the point of it is to find out more about you and what motivates you. Okay. So if you, were, if you had treated that conversation differently mm-hmm. and gone, oh, this is interesting because I bet this isn't just about um, Megan 
and Harry, this, there's something else going on here. Because yeah. there's a strong opinion about, but why is that strong opinion? Yeah. It's not about them. There's something else. Oh, I don't think that would have gone down something very else. well. But, yeah. but, you could have yeah. just, but, but you could have just found out a little bit more about them. Yeah, I didn't know this person very well. Yeah. So I guess I could have done. Yeah. That would have been quite interesting. And then you could have just made it into almost like a challenge for yourself of how much can I find out about this person? Okay, so it's a bit more like curiosity is yeah. a good thing to have. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, listen to understand rather than to chip in with your opinion. Yeah. Yeah, because I, yeah, I, I knew I wouldn't, as I was listening to them, I didn't really know them that well. I was just mm. sitting next to them at dinner and I realised I didn't know them. I, I, I wasn't, there wasn't any point in arguing. Yeah. Because I wasn't going to change their mind. No, exactly. You can't change. No. Our job is not to change people. Our, our job is to try and work out what's going on for people. Wow. Okay. And why they have these strong beliefs. Yeah. God, you must be so patient. Sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, until there's a sock in the washing machine. <laughs> you know, I'd love to sit yeah, I'd love to sit here and tell you I nail it every conversation, but that would be a lie. But you've nailed so, a lot of conversations. I, I hopefully I've nailed the important ones. Yeah. And sometimes not so important ones at home. But, and your yeah. book attests to that. Thank it you. Does. And we're gonna leave the link to the book in the show notes. Absolutely. Absolutely. Do urge, you have any other questions? I urge loads. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to ask a couple of them before we let Nikki go? <laughs> I think we've kept you for long enough, but I do urge everyone to go and buy your book because it is so good. Thank you. So good. Can I just give a big shout out to my ghostwriter, Liz Shepard, who did a, we were talking before, but Mm. she did a sterling job of getting everything out of my head and into a format that is very readable and um, hopefully people learn a lot. Very compelling. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much, Nikki. No, thank thank you for having me. It's been great. so interesting and i am going to endeavor to listen more 90 seconds that's what this podcast (laughs) is gonna have so many pauses (laughs) (laughs) thank you no problem thank you for having me should i delete that is part of the acast creator network Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 